0: I do want to start off by just saying that uh, Bianca and I, we're so blessed to have First Church as our family. We were both born and raised here at First Church, and it, it was one of the best, some of the best things that ever happened to us. Because this church is a special place. If you're looking for a home, First Church is a great home. This is a family. It is. And I don't want to get too far into the details of of our testimony i think that's for another sunday but it it, we just want to say thank you to everybody who's prayed with us prayed for us um you have no idea how far those things go um for anybody who doesn't know me my name is kentomori i'm the next gen pastor here at first church and i just want to say welcome to next gen sunday it's always a good sunday next gen sunday for those who have no idea what it is next gen sunday is simply a sunday when our kids and our students and everybody who is you know under the age of 18 they just kind of run a Sunday and to show the church that hey you know we're ready we can take it as well we, we thank everybody for everything that they've done but I just want to know let the church know that you know the future of First Church is in good hands as well and so that's what Next Gen Sunday is all about but the truth of the matter is you know when we start talking about generations the world can try to break down generations based off of your birth year and birth date and all that stuff based off of certain circumstances that people have lived through but biblically there are no generations there's just generation everybody in this room is part of one generation in God's eyes you know you have the baby boomers gen x millennials gen z generation alpha all that stuff split up and and categorized but the truth of the matter is God doesn't look at us as multiple generations he said you are the chosen generation. There is only one in God's eyes. And the reason that is, is because it's the same God that changed the life of an 84-year-old. Is the same exact God that fills a five-year-old with the Holy Ghost. It's the same exact God in the same exact way. It doesn't change because we are one generation. There is no difference when it comes to a move of God. And so on Next Gen Sunday, we're here to celebrate the generation. I'm going to read some scripture. I do have a lot Um, but if you would stand with me in honor of the word of god in fact how about everybody give a high five to the neighbor and just say man we're gonna be standing for a while we're gonna make it through and also before i start to read scripture let's put our hands together for the, the production team who's gonna do so much thank you guys so much for what you do To start off, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. And it says, And they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out of this land of the wilderness you have brought us to the wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger then the Lord said to Moses behold I am about to rain down bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every single day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not before I move on I just wanna say that the blessings of God aren't always just a blessing. Sometimes the blessings of God can be a test for your faith. How you respond when God blesses you is just as much of a test as how you respond when God's not blessing you at all. Can you still worship after God pours out his blessings? That's the real question. How do you respond? Are the blessings the final answer or is there still something more that you desire in the presence of God? And as you move on, Verse 10 through 15, and as soon as as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of God appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat the meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost in the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they knew not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread that the Lord hath given you to eat. And as you move on from this moment, this incredible moment, a miracle when they had nothing but God provided, you move on to to numbers 11 4 through 9 and it says now the rabble was among them had a strong craving and the people of israel also wept again and said oh that we had meat to eat we remember the fish that we ate in egypt that cost nothing we remember the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions the garlics but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing all but all this manna to look at now the manna was like a coriander seed and his appearance was like Something I don't know how to pronounce. The people went about and gathered it on the ground and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like a taste of cake baked it with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. We can just say that together as a church. The manna fell with it. And if you would just take a moment, let's just begin to open up and pray. Truly pray and say, God, whatever you have intended for me. I'm 100% open to it. Whatever you want to change inside of me, God, I'll, I'll change whatever I can, and you take the wheel from there. In the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to open up our hearts and minds that we may receive whatever you have intended for us. I believe that every single person in this room is here for a reason, and God has called you to a time and place of his choosing that your life may be changed on a Sunday morning just like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 10 and 16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You see, wolves are never stronger, never bigger, and in the open, they're never faster than their prey. Wolves hunt in packs because they're too weak to attack one on one. Because of their weaknesses, wolves need to have a very creative game plan in order to hunt and feed. Wolves hunt better when the terrain is harsh and in places like thick wolves, or thick woods and forests. Wolves don't have the best endurance, so they rely on short bursts of energy and perfect timing. You see, before making any moves, the wolf pack analyzes the entire herd, and they pinpoint the weakest prey. And from a distance, they watch, and they wait in the shadows. The herd is distracted by the climate. They're distracted by the weather. They're distracted by the terrain, trying to make it to the next pasture. You see, a caribou's life can be summed up as just moving from one, one pasture to the next, always looking for the easiest place to settle, never looking for a challenge, just looking for the least complicated way through life, following where the next caribou in front of them is going, never questioning the route, never questioning the direction, never realizing that as they travel, they're also being followed. They're just walking through life, while in the meantime, they're being targeted for an attack. And it's when the herd feels the safest the wolves begin to slowly slowly surround them it's when the caribou feel the safest that's actually when they're in the most danger you see the wolves pick from the most strategic positions in order to push the herd into one direction they go from the south they go from the west in order to push them towards the forest they push them towards the wilderness And if only the caribou would stand and fight, they might have had a chance to all survive. You see, if you don't see the tactics used against you, how in the world can you fight against it? If you don't know what's coming to you next, you'll be a victim to the ploys of the enemy, constantly in a cycle from one battle to the next, always feeling like you're on your back foot, always feeling like you're cornered, always feeling like you're fighting to survive, always feeling like you're in a challenge, in a race against time. With no energy, always feeling like you're drowning, just trying to catch a breath. Going through this cycle from one defeat, trying to catch a breath to the next defeat. All over again, it's not sustainable, and it is not the will of God on any of our lives. Like the caribou, we are creatures of habit. We go through life, same day, same week, over and over and over again. But unlike caribou, we have the ability to step outside of what comes natural, to step outside of habits and patterns, and to do something that we've never done before. In order to change your life, God's calling you to change a pace. If you want a difference in life, you need to change how you've been living life. And so we have that ability. Whenever the enemy comes in like the flood, we have an ability to stand and fight. We have the ability to no longer become victims become conquerors in the name of Jesus. You see caribou are picked off because they become victims to their own habits. Wolves only feed because caribous never change the way they travel through life. If you're tired of going through the same exact routine, one defeat to the next, same exact patterns. you need to understand that you need to change a pace. You need to do something a little bit different. You need to have a different perspective on what God has called for you in your life and Satan will lead you to a place where you feel so small that you feel like you can't even attack so you just lay down without any resistance you see I believe for me personally some of the most loneliest moments of my life was when I was, when I, was, when I was in a room just surrounded by people you see it's, it's not too hard to feel lonely when you're by yourself but it feels real lonely when you're surrounded by people and you realize just how alone you actually are you realize how little people truly care about you. But I'm here to tell you that there is a God of this earth. There's a God of heaven and a God of hell. And he's saying that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You are my child and I created you. I've been with you from the beginning and I'll be with you in the end. You might have not always seen me. You might have not always fought me. But I've been there with you whether you know it or not. It's when we're in the wilderness alone. That's when God is the most closest to us. Jesus name when I was about 2021 I had this amazing opportunity from some friends of mine Mike and Misty Alfred they asked me to come over to their house and just dog sit for them for a little bit and I was excited this is my first time being out the house living by myself without having to pay bills it's going to be a good time and I thought it was going to be just a cool week but it turns out that what they had planned was literally three months at a time. Like, we're going away for the summer. We need somebody to watch our dog. Uh, we have to move for work just for a little bit. So I was house-sitting for months and months at a time. And so I, I felt the weight of it. And I was excited, but I felt the weight of it. And I, and I learned a few lessons along that road. You see, the first lesson I learned dog-sitting for my friends was that food left in the sink can start to smell real bad. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew what pasta can turn into if left alone? The second lesson I learned is that pit bulls produce a lot, and if you're not careful, they can ruin shoes. You see, I grew up with a small dog, and and dealing with small dogs and big dogs are completely different games, you know? It's like owning a mom and pop shop versus running Amazon. The production rate of a Maltese poodle is different than a pit bull, but that's the second lesson I learned, the production rates of pit bulls. The third lesson I learned is that trains are very, very loud. You see, when I first Did the house walk through? They showed me, hey, we're going to leave tonight, but I just want to show you where everything is. Man, I was so excited. I was like, man, this is going to be a great time for me. I was excited until the first night when I went to sleep at night, and I was erupted awake by the sound of the house shaking. And I felt for a moment that the second coming of Jesus was upon me, and I was terrified. I quickly found out that they lived right next to train tracks. And who knew that trains are so loud and and so erupting? And I was terrified because I was saying that this is going to be my lifestyle for the next three months, just never getting to sleep, basically. And so the second night came around and the same exact thing happened again. I was woken up by the second coming of the Lord, quickly to find out there was just a train again. And it happened and happened and happened until something very amazing happened. Something very curious happened on the fifth night. I went to sleep and I woke up at 8 a.m. like a normal person. And I woke up and I realized that I wasn't woken by the train. It's not that the train stopped. It's that my mind just got used to it. That's what happens when people live next to train tracks. They get used to the noise. Trains no longer, they can't even hear the train after a while. Something in their psyche just twists and turns and changes to the point where they completely drown out the sound of these trains. And I found myself sleeping next to trains the same exact way the Israelites began to sleep on their blessings. You see, the Israelites were born into slavery, delivered from bondage, crossed the sea on dry land, led by a pillar of fire in the night and a cloud by day, taken through the wilderness towards their promise, and still began to complain. They still had room to say, God, this isn't good enough for me. And they would say, it would have been better had we died in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, but you brought us out in this wilderness to kill us of hunger. You see, like the trains in my mind, turning silent in my mind, these Israelites became completely used to the blessings of God. And the extraordinary things of God soon became very, very ordinary to them. And so to the church, I come with a simple warning. Don't get accustomed to the spirit of God to the point where he becomes silent in your own soul. You see, you come to church week in and week out. You go week by week, and, and, and something that used to become an experience turns into something that's just a custom. And little by little, you begin to lose your admiration to the things of God. People getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost aren't as impactful to you anymore. People getting healed isn't that crazy anymore. Worship is reserved for your favorite songs only. And maybe only when, the, when, when your life is a little rough and you need God the most feeling and manifest presence of God isn't as moving it's not as deep as it once was and if you're not careful these moves of God that were so extraordinary quickly turn into something very very ordinary something very mundane in your eyes and you see I get what it feels like coming to church week in and week out and not necessarily seeing or feeling like I'm progressing in God But little did I know, just the desire to step into the house of God was a blessing from God in and of itself. It's not you who brought you here. It's always been God that draws you in. Just the fact that you're in the house today counted a blessing. Counted a blessing. Do not get used to the presence of God. Do not let the roaring train of his spirit turn silent. And whatever we do, don't get used to this manna. You see, like the caribou, there are actually broken people in this house right now, legitimately struggling, legitimately fighting for hope for another week, another day, always feeling surrounded, never catching a break, just going through the patterns of life, hoping that hope would just somehow find them. You see, I understand exactly what addiction feels like. You know, we get up here, we get the mic, and we have the suit and all that stuff, and people just assume certain things. But the fact is every single person in this room has a broken past every single person in here has a story has a testimony you see i'm a youth pastor and i love when we have testimony services with our students it's so powerful you know the bible says that we are conquerors by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony and so when we have these testimony services it's not for everybody in the crowd you see they'll get affected by the residue but the truth of the matter is The power is in the person giving a testimony. That's the person who's actually the conqueror by the word of their testimony. And so testimonies are so powerful because we're watching somebody become a conqueror in that moment. But we would have these services, and I'm not exaggerating at all. I mean, we've been running the youth for the past four years or so. And every single time we had a testimony service, people start talking about depression People start talking about anxiety, start talking about suicide. These are things that happen every single time. Every single time people are struggling with these things. And you know, you know I, I try not to look at life through too much of a spiritual sense. I believe that God is both practical and spiritual, and so you need a good mix of both. But the fact is, when you start looking at spiritual territories... There are territories over certain lands. I remember we bring in youth pastors and speakers and they say, man, I just feel like a weight of depression, man. Because it's the God of this land. It's something that this place deals with. It's something that the youth group deals with. It's something that these churches fight with and struggle with. It's not uncommon for us to, to talk to a young person and saying, I'm just so bombarded by the thought of suicide. I'm, I'm crippled by my depression. It's not uncommon. And so for anybody in this room right now who's legitimately struggling, the question really is, how do we get out of that? How do we change pace? But the problem is, there are also people who have been blessed by God, who've got so many testimonies before them. And either way, whether you're truly struggling or you just come in and you find yourself getting so so used to the presence of God, the solution is one and the same. You come and you always ask for something when you enter the house of God. Not allowing your worship to be loosened because I need something first. I need something before I respond. You see, I never said it verbally, but somewhere along my walk with God, something in my mind, I realized later on that something switched in my mind to where I decided that my greatest worship was only reserved for when I could consider a miracle. Only when my prayers were met would I truly worship God. Something and God had to show that and reveal that and change something inside of my heart. You see, the truth of the matter is, miracles fall when the presence of God is good enough. That's the truth. If you're looking for something, the miracles that you're seeking are, are going to come when the presence of God is all you actually need. Amen. You see, what I'm trying to say is that no matter who you are and no matter what your situation looks like today, worship has always been the answer. Worship is what's going to bring you out and worship is what's going to bring you back into the presence of God. It's worship that has always held you and it's worship that's always going to keep you. The question truly is, is the presence of God still good enough for you today? Is the presence of God still good enough? Do you remember the first time God stepped into your life and changed everything? Because it's the same exact way that God changed you on the first time. It's the same exact God and the same exact way he can change your life today. We get so used to coming in church and we say, God, I must need to do something more to get a touch from God. But the truth is God's calling us back to the same starting point. John six, thirty-two through thirty five, and it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread from God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth us life unto this world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I love this. There's a different translation that says, and they jumped at that and said, Master, give us this bread now and forever. What a stark difference between how the children of Israel responded to the manna versus these these disciples responding to God, the bread of life, their manna. You see, it's a curious thing when you actually look through the Bible. The children of Israel were always known as the children of Israel until they crossed into the promised land. From that point forward, they are now known as the nation of Israel. There's a lot of people in this room right now who still has childish perspectives on God. And God's saying, if you can break these habits now, I can turn you into a united nation of God. You are no longer children. You are now my people group. You are now part of the the nation, part of the army of God. God's trying to draw us out of that wilderness and into the promises of God. You see, in the church, we get a little confused on what worship is and what worship isn't. You see, oftentimes people think that music is worship, and it's not. Music is not worship. Music is a tool of worship, but it is not worship. You see, when you start looking into music, it's a powerful thing, and it affects you spiritually. I I promise you that, whether you realize it or not. I remember one of the very first strongest convictions I had was when I was in, you know, I was like 17, 18, and I, we had a youth service in that room back there. And I remember I just felt God just convicting me and saying, you need to change what you're listening to because it's changing how you respond. It's changing how you feel on a day-to-day basis. And so I ran out to my car, and for everybody under the age of 18, they had something known as a CD-ROM. It's <laughs> crazy, yeah. And so I ran out and grabbed my CD-ROMs, like all my Eminem, my 50 Cent, I got my Bob Marley Reggae going on. I just remember taking it and I just threw it in the trash. I just didn't want anything to do with it anymore because I knew how heavy it was. But that's the power of music. But worship is not music and music is not worship. You see, worship can be anything, really. It's how we live our lives. It's your priorities. It's your actions. It's everything. And so we're going to do an exercise here in a moment. And I'm just going to try to have the church. We're just going to pray together. And then they're going to put on a few songs behind. But I want you to truly just pray through it for a moment. Just truly try to pray through it and and just see. Because the fact is, music is bigger than lyrics. People think that lyrics are what makes music music. But the truth of the matter is, it's a culmination of things. Like, music is powerful because it has the ability to completely bypass the logical side of your brain straight into the emotional. It's got the ability to move you from an emotional standpoint. And any lyric that's in it completely bypasses logic and goes straight into your emotion. That's why it's powerful. And trust me, when I'm doing this, I'm not at all trying to say, hey, this is what you should or shouldn't listen to. Not at all. What I'm trying to do is show you how powerful music is without lyrics. Okay? And so let's just begin to pray as a church. Let' us just begin to worship God for a moment saying, in Jesus name, God, we lift you up. we thank you for this day. I'm asking you God to touch us in this moment. I'm asking you God to show us exactly who you are to us in Jesus name. Let's go continue to pray in Jesus name. Come on, keep praying. In Jesus name, thank you God. In Jesus name Keep praying, keep praying. Name, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Keep praying, let's keep praying. with me <laughs> my point is very simple music is more powerful than just the lyrics in it and it changes how we worship you see because music is a tool of worship the true question is what does your music worship which direction are you worshiping that's the real question and so like I said before music is not worship and worship isn't music it's simply a tool of worship but the first mention of the word worship in the Bible it's a very Interesting story. The first mention that the Bible ever said the word worship was not with music and it had nothing to do with anything enjoyable or pleasing. The first time the Bible ever mentioned the word worship was when Abraham led his son Isaac up to a mountain to sacrifice him. And Abraham said to his servants to wait so that he and Isaac can go up the mountain and worship God. You see, sacrifice is a form of worship. What you give up is a form of worship. And altars are a place of worship. It's so important for us to understand the heartbeat of worship is so much bigger than what you might think it is. It's literally what you are and who you are and what you give yourself to. That's what true worship is. It always stems from the core of your being. In the book of Revelation, it speaks of a red dragon, also known as Satan. And it says that this dragon drew his tail, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. Signifying that when Lucifer was brought down to earth, cast down from heaven, he also brought a third of the angels with him. And they are now known as demons on this earth. And you see, I believe that from the fall of Lucifer, before he ever fell down, that heaven was broken up into three camps. Three different camps led by three different angels, archangels. The first one was a warring camp of angels known as the the warring angels led by Michael. The second were the ministering angels led by Gabriel. And the third were the worshiping angels led by Lucifer. That's why in a service is normally broken down into those three segments. You start off with worship. Then you go into the ministering of the word. And then finally you go into the altar call. And that's where the war takes place. Now the thing is, the moment that Lucifer was cast down onto earth... With his army of angels, also known as the worshipers, there's now an empty seat in heaven. And the calling of the church today has always been to fill that seat God's not asking us to go to war, and he's not asking us to minister. He's asking us to worship. And when we begin to truly worship God, that's when he'll send the war. That's when he'll send the ministerings. That's when everything else just lines up into place. But the first starting point for us is to begin to worship God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our might. In Jesus' name. You see, the true question is, Is the presence of God still good enough for you today? It's so easy to get mundane and so easy to get dragged down by your own situations. But God has been calling the church every single day. Like we said before, the manna fell every single day. There wasn't a morning when the manna didn't fall. And just like that manna, every single day we have the opportunity where God's pouring out his manna, the bread of life. And he's saying, This is your opportunity. How do you respond? How do you respond? Every single moment of the day, we have the ability to get a hold of God and say I want the bread of life so what do you need to truly worship God do you need a position to worship God do you need a miracle to worship God do you need a change of situation to worship God you see the fact is miracles happen in this place Truly miracles happens in this place. Deliverance happens in this place. But it always starts when the church begins to worship first. The question is, do you need the deliverance before you worship or do you need to worship before the deliverance? God's calling you to worship and then he'll cast, he'll push back the doors of hell. But you need to start with worship every single time. You could just stand with me. I'm about to close here. In fact, if you just want to make your way to the front, this is, this is the altar call. This is the war that we're talking about here. You see, like I said before, miracles always fall when the presence of God is good enough miracles always fall when in your heart you can legitimately say i don't need anything i just want to be with you god i just want to stand in the presence of god and when that truly happens in your own heart that's when god begins to pour out miracles that's why he's saying i'll give you more than you've ever asked for because if you only ask to be in the presence of god he'll always pour out more i remember the first mission trip i ever went to was was in fiji and I remember going into this trip, I said, I prayed it many times before going in. I said, God, I don't know who you're going to lead me to, but I believe that there's always gonna, there's at least one person you're going to lead me to. I believe there's one person that you're calling me to. I believe that there's one soul that's been waiting to get in contact with whatever you put inside of me. And I remember we went through this trip and we had services, 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 and they're all amazing. But I never felt like God brought me to the place I was supposed to be until the very last night I remember as the altar called the very last night right at the very, very end I was just standing at the front and I was just praying and I was just worshiping God and I remember this elderly man just walked up next to me and he began to lift up his hands and he just began to mouth something and I remember I just put my hand on him and I began to pray for him I said, God, whatever you have intended for this man I'm asking you to complete it here today and he began to speak in tongues and he he was just filled with the Holy Ghost and he began to dance and and shout and worship, truly worship, but that's not the best part, is when I, I, I couldn't speak his language, he couldn't speak mine, so we got a translator and he was so excited and he said, when I came up to this altar, there was something wrong with my vocal cords, I couldn't speak, I was unable to speak, but I just wanted to come and worship, I just wanted to do what I can, and the moment that he began to worship was the same moment God filled him and the same moment God healed him. And in that moment, I, I said, God, who am I? Like, what am I doing here? I-, I realized that I wasn't sent to Fiji to meet that man. God sent that man to meet me in Fiji. I- and I- my mind changed in that moment. Man, what a, what a beautiful heartbeat to say, God, I... I can't even speak, but I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going a, I'm to a mouth of worship, whatever that sounds like to you, and I'm going to give it all to you in this moment. If you're seeking a miracle, it starts with worship. If you're seeking deliverance from your past, it starts with worship. If you're struggling with depression, it always starts with worship. It always starts with what doesn't feel right. But then once you start, everything just lines up into place. And let's begin to worship right now, because it doesn't matter if you're hurting. Doesn't matter if you're broken. God's saying, I've given you enough strength right now to worship me. And once you make that a priority in this moment, everything else just lines up into place. In the name of Jesus and the power that comes in that name, I'm asking you, God, to change us in this moment. I give myself to you. If you're the God of newness, I'm asking you for something new. If you're the God of something new, I need it right now. I need a breakthrough. But before that, I just want to worship you. I just want to say thank you. I love you, my Alpha and Omega, my beginning, my end, my everything. In Jesus' name. I just want to see.